It's officially June, and whether or not that really means that it's summer depends on where you live, in which part of the country where I'm recording, or the country where you live, hopefully somewhere around the world. And yet somehow, for myself and many of the people I work and speak with, summer has always begun with June. Even though the official is a few weeks away from now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to enjoy all of the thrills that come with it, all of the sort of sights and sounds, and for me, the smells. One of my favorite smells would have to be the smell of new comic books. It's something that harkens back to my childhood and allows me to use words like harken, and it lets me think about fresh ink, warm paper, warm like baked bread. You know that feeling? It's the feeling that I get every time I get the chance to dig through each week's comics and pick my top five for you. No, this isn't a baking show, and no, it's not a nostalgic memory. It's actually the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 12, and my name is Seth Singleton. I'll be your host as we go through the top five picks from DC Comics this week, just like every week, and I get the chance to share with you why it is my top five picks are on this list. Let's get started with Justice League number 25. Now here's a little something I've really been enjoying, and also something I'm really sort of apprehensive about when it comes to these events. Issue number 25, issue number 50, number 75, issue number 100. And beyond that, there comes with it a pressure, a desire to sort of do a little bit more. And I think Justice League number 25 has been building in a direction that ultimately would lead to, hopefully, a form of a conclusion in Justice League number 25. And I really feel that that's what is done here. Now, let me just catch you up real quick. We've got the situation where the Justice League, for the past four or five issues now, has been transported to the sixth dimension, and they're shown a future possibility of themselves, one that they have to make a difficult choice about in order to bring it into reality. And that's where the real conflict lies, because the only one who's ever proven in all the multiple times that this attempt has been made to actually accomplish that has been Superman. Which is why a future version of Superman has cast him off, and why the World Forger has now brought himself to light and put the task upon Batman to wear this very expensive, clearly, and very futuristic suit that will give Batman the knowledge to make a hard choice, choose who will side with, who won't, so that a preemptive strike can set a new path for the future. That sounds pretty heavy. What makes it worse is that the older Superman went ahead and threw our current, modern, present-day Superman into a dimension and gave Batman control over whether or not access to sunlight would mean life or death. And it seemed as though Batman had made a choice that was going to lead to a potentially second death of the Man of Steel, although you would have thought there would have been a little bit more hype if that was really going to happen. And in 25, what we see is that Batman has actually laid out a perfect plan, one that relies on Superman to call upon his greatest strengths. And Superman does this by remembering all of the things that have given him hope and all of the times that he's been in his darkest places. And yet, there was a light. And I'm not going to give away too much regarding spoilers beyond that. That's simply why I picked it, why it's here, and it's one of my favorite elements on the story side. And if I 
could go a little bit deeper. While it's so easy to go into the belief of Superman in himself, this is also a story about the belief of Batman in Superman, an almost recognition by Batman that he's not quite the good one, not quite the great one, not actually the best. And because of that, he has to rely on someone who is, Superman, who's the best of us, who doesn't have the cynical uh, sort of statistician uh, response to situations or problems. It's pretty well documented that Batman makes the hard calls, and he's done so in the past, and he's lived with them, and he justifies them, and he stands by them. But he knows that Superman makes the right calls, and that's something he's relying on here. And in the end, what we have is not only a conclusion to a great storyline from Scott Snyder, but also a really fun introduction and a new team-up that I will not spoil for you this one. You will have to check it out for yourself. I absolutely love the uh, art that was going on in this issue so much from the uh, page six setup with this beautiful giant display of just everybody fighting, as well as a couple of moments, whether it's Superman in that darkness and trying to find his way, or later on page 20 when he breaks through the path that he's been able to figure out. And how we get a chance to see so much of what makes him in this great splash page 20. That doesn't mean that there weren't some, you know, unpleasant, not so great moments. And this is confusing sometimes because in this book there's actually two stories. So I'll do this for both. I felt like on the story side, my least favorite moment was sort of the acceptance on the part of the new partner to the Justice League. But overall, I felt that there was a great deal of buildup and that the change was something that almost felt practical or strategic, and that the decision to make the alliance is more out of necessity, which was sort of the purpose behind uh, the offer. And also this idea that even though it didn't feel like it was uh, something that had been leveraged in any way, in any way to sort of present the possibility of this team-up, that the uh, stakes, given what they are, mean that, well... Sometimes we make hard choices in the moment, even when there hasn't been any precedent that that's the reason we're going to make our decision, or that that's the reason we're going to go in that direction. Now, when I was mentioning confusing, the key about issue number 25 is that it's not a solo story. Yes, the first part is the conclusion of the Six Dimension storyline, and that features the great writing talents of Scott Snyder. But also folded into this issue is a shorter story, by James Tynan. Thank you again to Mr. Steve J. Ray for correcting me on my pronunciation of Mr. Tynan's name. James Tynan offers up a really short sort of uh, introduction to what the next challenge will be looking forward in the story of the message, in which essentially the time that the Justice League has been gone has given the Earth an opportunity to consider the Legion of Doom's offer and to make a choice that, while surprising in some ways, without the presence of their greatest heroes to give them a reason to choose another way, doesn't seem all that unlikely in the course of human events or in the course of human behavior. Again, not trying to give away the big spoilers here, but it's a well-told story, some great art, and uh, I really enjoyed the fact that in this one, for my favorite parts here, uh, the, the concept that simply people will get tired and that it will be a challenge and that when they are at their weakest, they will turn to almost anyone when they need help or hope or an answer 
when the places they're used to looking aren't giving them the answers they want in the time they want them. And I thought there was some really nice art, especially on page 29, showing this sort of new possibility cast into a different light. And the sense of resolve and the challenge that's facing the new team, who look more than a bit beleaguered and ragged and tired. And I should also point out, if any of these events sound like they might be a little confusing, pick up DC's Year of the Villain or any related titles, it might give you a little bit more of an insight into some of the events going on outside of, but also tied in related to Justice League issue number 25. I thought this hit a lot of really strong notes. I thought there was some really great moments, and I thought that with two stories involved, the value for each was complete, no matter the length, even though I felt like the first one had to be long enough in order to complete this story. Uh, really enjoyed everything I saw here. I'm going to go ahead and give this one a solid 4 out of 5. I might have gone 4.5, but on these quarter and 50 and 75 and 100 issues, I judge a little harder. And I'm okay with that because my score is one thing. Your score is a thing I really want to hear. And I'm looking forward to you sharing with me right here at DC Comics News. Listen at the end for all the different ways you can let us know on social media. I promise I'll reply as soon as I hear now for my second book on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 12, I went ahead and moved in here with a great issue that I've really been enjoying, Deathstroke number 44. Part of this ongoing feud between Deathstroke and the Titans and the events which eventually led to Red Arrow putting an arrow in the eye of Slade Wilson and his eventual death, and this issue number 44 opens with a funeral and the response of the villain community as well as the hero community to the death of a very prominent figure like Slade Wilson aka Deathstroke the Terminator in this issue titled Elegy or Deathstroke R.I.P. Elegy. Um, The story here by Priest really well done starts out with essentially a funeral pyre where Slade Wilson's body is lain, and the gathering of numerous and very highly well-known or notable DC villains, and watching over it all is Superman. Essentially, Justice League number 25 was not the only book to feature large casts or ensembles. In Deathstroke number 44, we see Superman looking over this sort of gathering, and having a conversation with Joseph Wilson, otherwise known as Jericho, using this uh, very specific sub-vocal transmitter system, and a conversation they're having about what to do. And while this is all being discussed, we get a chance to see different villains from Redline and Raptor and Killer Frost, Deadshot, and Deadline. I could keep naming them all off, but They make their appearances, they pay their respects, and it's actually one of the things I get to include as my favorite story moments. Whenever there's a passing of a character, it's often the most telling to hear what is said about them by those still living after the dead are gone. And in this moment, we not only get to hear from this cast of villains, but we also get an appearance by the Legion of Doom, and their recognition that there's a lot going on (laughs) and that they have an opportunity to not only display their power in front of this group of gathered villains and Superman, but also how in this tense moment we can cut away and see where the quiet tension lies between characters like Damien, Red Arrow, 
aka Amico, and then come back to this great story that includes so many of the villains from DC Comics who have really risen to some prominence recently. And it feels like their recognition that the stakes that they are involved in can sometimes cost their lives is really telling in this story. I love the art, whether you're talking about the opening shot, that great big, huge splash panel page of essentially Superman looking down on the body of Deathstroke surrounded by all these villains. I also love the way that each sort of little snapshot is a great quick vignette from each of the villains who speak. And then how there's this underlying subplot, this story about how Jericho wants to do something, make a statement, and how it's all actually brought to a bit of an unraveling by the light show display qualities and skills of Dr. Light. Uh, Great combination here of storytelling and art. Really enjoyed everything that I uh, saw here. When it comes to my negative sides, really, I struggled to have any issues with this one. It brought to close a very difficult, you know, chapter. It also introduced some very intriguing opportunities for future stories, whether it's with Wintergreen, whether it has to do with those who are essentially his offspring, those who might follow in his footsteps. And overall, a very strong story that I personally am going to go ahead and put up there at a 4.5 out of 5. That's my score. What I'm waiting to hear from is your score. I know you're out there. I know you're listening. All you have to do is care enough to share and tag us. We'll tell you all about it at the end of this episode. But now, let's move right into my third choice for the DC Comics New Spinner Rack, episode number 12. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And for my third pick on the uh, old DC Comics news spinner rack, I'm going to be honest, I had to go with Adventures of the Super Sons, number 11. I've really enjoyed picking up this maxi series. I love the different characters in it. And essentially what's going on is all the madness that you can fit into 20 pages. We've got 
Well, we've got Jonathan, we've got Damien, we've got them out in a whole other sector of the cosmos. They've met up with Jonah Hex. We've got them facing off with a junior version of the Legion of Doom, plus like basically the expanded cast. Everybody from Doom Dame, I know, I absolutely love that name, to Teen Lantern. I mean, really, and then of course there's the future versions of themselves that they dreamed up but then made reality. It's just wild, man. It's just a really good, fun read. I'm just going to smile all the way through it because the whole time I just sort of laughed and chuckled and had a great a great read and really just a great, you know, visual show. You know, you've got Peter J. Tomasi working here uh, delivering a really fun story, great writing, great dialogue, great team working with him to deliver this fun art. I mean, the opening with the splash page is just a blast. And it's also really easy to just sink right in. I don't care if you haven't read any of the 10 issues before. This one's just as much fun without that backstory. But essentially, what's going on is that we've got the young guys versus everybody, and they're doing their best to just kick butt. And it's a lot of fun to just see them do this. Uh, They have great fun with the uh, writing, with the storytelling. Um, The characters from Kid Kimo, as I mentioned, also Doomsdame to a uh, Bane Jr. I mean, really, it's it's hard not to just sit back and, and just smile and flip through each page. The art keeps it light and fun, and yet at the same time gives this sort of kid-friendly serious tone. There's this feeling that the stakes are high, and yet at the same time, not too high. And the thrill is sort of watching the way these guys just do so much in such a short amount. Now, that doesn't mean that this is sort of the end-all be-all. There's still part 12 of this maxi series, but 11 sets up so many great things and it has a lot of fun doing it. When it comes to my negatives, man, it's the Super Sons. It's that much fun. I don't have any negatives on this one. It's just a good time and a great ride. And it's one of those experiences where if you take off the editor filter and quit trying to figure out how the plot lines all make sense, you're really just going to enjoy yourself more. And I did. And that's why I'm more than happy to give this book a 5 out of 5. It does everything it wants to do. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And in the process, it gives us a great story that allows us to not take ourselves too seriously. And especially comics, because comics are supposed to be fun. For all the seriousness and the gravity and the gritty and the realism, there's also a part for the suspension of disbelief and the willingness to dive into a great fantastical story. Super Sons number 11 gives you that, and that's why this one got a 5 out of 5 for my third choice on the DC Comics new spinner rack. And my number 4 for this time around is going to be the Green Lantern number 8. Now, you might have noticed that I've really enjoyed this one on the Green Lantern, especially with how many times it has appeared on the spinner rack and all the ways that I have pointed to what I feel are its excellent examples, demonstrations, and just greatness. Um, So... Green Lantern is essentially the Grant Morrison uh, writing and the Liam Sharp art that's taking Hal Jordan into a sort of police procedural direction, but it really seems to have stepped away from the procedural and more into the fantastical, even though it tries to do things like tell a story with Green Arrow and Green Lantern back on the streets, fighting crime, cleaning things up against space junkies. 
And that's the part where it feels like everything separates. But it does point out and lead perfectly into one of my favorite parts about this story, which is if you do drugs or buy drugs, you eventually lose your soul. And with Space Junkies, we get this great concept of a high and anesthesia that afterwards leaves the person who agreed to the deal without a part of their soul, part of their essence, a part of who they are. And through it all, just some really great storytelling, just some really great conversation between two characters who've known each other for quite some time, who have a really storied history traveling across America, finding themselves, doing good, and also just some nods to sort of the the psychedelic moments, the sort of out there qualities that make these two characters and their story so enjoyable. And then also the underlying sort of many tangled threads of, well, who supplies the space junkies with their product, what sort of interstellar background is this set against, and why is it that this sort of big fight that both Green Arrow and Green Lantern are involved in seems to involve a little bit more than just your normal beat 'em up smash 'em up The art is so much fun, it feels like it's really just letting loose. Now, I'm not going to claim that this has anything to do with the fact that the fantastical side of Grant Morrison probably often, you know, creates the idea in the artist's mind that they can do almost anything. But if it does, I'm glad that they do, because we get to see some amazing visual depictions of things like Zine Lantern and Zine Arrow. And that's spelled with an X. And if you're not familiar with it, this is another great example of Grant Morrison sort of digging into the minute details of the history of these characters and then stretching them around into this new fabric. Basically, imagine if you had this old sweater and it had this pattern in it that you really liked and he took that pattern and he unraveled it and he turned it into its own story. And Liam Sharp crafting the colors and shaping the lines really allows me and hopefully other readers and comic book fans to dive in to really sink into this. On the negative side, I feel like really on the story side, the, the hardest thing that, that, that comes with some of these issues is that they require, in some extent, a background or a history or a knowledge of these characters. And without it, sometimes it can feel like these are all things that are known and, and part of the canon, and yet... They aren't familiar because they haven't been referenced in so long. So while the fans who've been around for years and, and know all these details really well might just find themselves leaping with glee that they're the only ones who do understand it, this could be something that might be off-putting for someone who feels like this book is written for fans that have been around longer, which might not include newer fans, who could get turned off. On the art side... I have no issues. When you're trying to do the sort of things that Grant Morrison is doing and you've got a talented artist like Liam Sharp, you be thankful for the opportunity when they do everything so right and when they don't, you recognize the fact that all those missteps are what led them to the opportunities to do so much right so very well. Now that and more than a few other reasons that you'll find inside this issue are why I went ahead and chose The Green Lantern as my fourth book for the DC Comics News Spinner Wreck. And they're all part of the reason why I gave this book a solid 5 out of 5. I know it's my second one. I don't do that very often, and yet it just happened. Want to talk about it? Share me your score, tag us, and then we can have a great conversation. Whatever platform you choose, I'm down, and I know there's more about this that we'll both want to talk about if you do let me know your score. 
And that's going to bring us to my fifth and final pick. And for this time around, I actually went ahead with The Dreaming, issue number 10. The story, Empty Shells, written by Simon Spurrier and illustrated uh, by Bilquis Evely. And if I did that wrong, please, either Mr. Steve J. Ray or anyone else out there who knows the correct way to pronounce that name and can help me to not look like a fool the next time around, find me. Let me know. I like to learn. I like to get it right especially when it comes to someone's name, especially when they're this talented. And when I'm talking about talent, there are no shortage of examples in the Sandman universe, The Dreaming Number 10. This is a really fun story. I really like what Spurrier is doing here. Uh, essentially, what we've got are some characters who are moving through a dreamscape environment. And while they are, we've got at least two or three characters who are part of that environment, not only describing what the other parts of that world are, how they exist, how the history ties to the Dream King that everyone is searching for, and also what it means to tell a story and how the narrative in our dreams can be so important, especially for the person whose job it is to narrate them. Uh, overall, this is just a really great story that delves into the inner workings of dream and the worlds that they sort of encounter and include and incorporate, and the experiences that, while we might not always think about when we have the opportunity in a story like this to dig down and see where the roots lie, well, it's almost like this great example on page 9 talking about the snake that made the world and how many different versions there are of this story and what they've come to represent to each culture that used them to tell their story and also how each one is just a retelling of an older story, one whose original version might be lost to us and might actually also need to be found. Really compelling stuff, deep, heady. I'll be honest, I had a couple of titles vying for this week's top five picks, and it was a challenge for me to narrow it down. But when it came to the dreaming, it was really this idea of storytelling and how it ties to the responsibilities that come with the Dream Lord, and also what the cost was for him to get away from everyone the way he has, in such a way that it's now requiring so much of them to find him. Um, there's a great cast of characters. I really enjoy the way they're depicted, not only in their storytelling, but also visually. I really enjoy the fact that this way that we get to see how characters who've clearly existed in this world beforehand, like Balam the Rhymer, are given a brief synopsis about how they did something wrong and are then cursed and why their banishment has left them as we find them. I also enjoy the fact that, though it's done in somewhat disjointed ways, that the way this story and its art pull together the sort of foggy and bright and brilliant dreaminess of the dreaming make for just a really engaging story where you're trying to figure things out, or at least I was, and yet at the same time, I was enjoying the search. Whether it's with Dora and Matthew, whether it's with Balam, the rhymer, and with them together, or whether it's this idea that the responsibility of the dream so much relies on the person interpreting it. Someone who, like the Dream King, can look inside this sort of bewildering collection of memories and occurrences throughout a day, throughout a week, throughout our lives, 
and find the threads that tie them together in a way that help us understand them. And that was a really enjoyable part for me. On the negative side, there were some moments where I felt like the challenge behind the art or the storytelling were accomplished and yet felt to be just a little bit rushed, almost as though maybe a last minute change had been made or an adjustment. But while I struggled with some of those moments, the storytelling itself was really quite compelling. The art did a wonderful job of supporting it. And really, except for those moments, this was a solid book for me, and it's why I'm proud to give it a 4.5 out of 5. I'm not saying that when I pick them for the spinner rack, all top 5 are going to score that high, but some weeks you get lucky, and this time around, I was. My score for the Dreaming number 10, again, is going to go ahead and be a 4.5 out of 5. And as you'll remember, there's already been two 5s on this week's edition. But this week's edition has now come to a close. This is the end of episode number 12 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and I've been your host, Seth Singleton. And before I step away, I'd one like to just give a uh, mildly belated thank you to Ari Bard for joining us last time on episode number 11 and sharing his insights as we talked over the picks that we made for last week. And then, of course, I want to make sure that I let you know all the ways that you can find us. DC Comics News is available on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So I'm going to ask and encourage that you head on over, subscribe to the podcast, and rate and review. If you can give me a reason why we're less than five stars, go for it. But otherwise, just make it five. We're that good. I know it, you know it, and until you're ready to disagree with me, just make it five. And when it comes to social media... Feel free to choose your favorite platform to let us know what you're thinking. And more importantly, for me and the Spinner Rack, what your scores are for any of the books or all the books that are on this and every week of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. On social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, the at sign and DC Comics News, you can join me each and every week for a new edition of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, where I do my best to pick top five picks from the books published by DC Comics. You've heard my scores. I can't wait to hear yours. Thanks for joining me this week. Can't wait to talk with you next week, right here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And as always, read more comics.